chapter 20. We're going to read four verses together. It says from verse 19, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood amongst them and said, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and he said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Jesus, I pray as we come to your word now that you'd speak to us. Lord, we have, we have sung of our joy knowing of what you've done for us. And as I share this word this morning, I pray that you'd come, that you'd encourage us, that you'd minister to us. We want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you for the age-old story of what you've done for us. And I, I pray, Lord, that you'd help me to communicate well and clearly that it might bring life to everyone here this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you know, um, the New Testament has 27 books in it. Um, there are four Gospels. They tell us the story of the life of Jesus. There are 21 letters written mostly by Paul. And they tell us of the meaning of Jesus for our lives. There's one history book, the book of Acts. And there's one book of prophecy, Revelation. And all of those 27 books deal with Jesus as alive, as risen from the dead, and as central to history, to our reality, to the universe, and present Jesus to us as very God and very man. This is an incredible picture that the New Testament paints for us. And what I'd like to do with you this morning is simply look at the first appearance of Jesus after His resurrection to all of His disciples. And what I want us to look at today is two very simple things. How did He act and what did He say? And I think there's a whole lot of things we can learn out of those two things of how Jesus acted towards His disciples and what He said to them that can bring meaning to us and help us to live well in this very turbulent age in which we live. And so I'd like to start by showing you a little movie clip. Uh, I don't know if some of you might have seen this movie already. already. It's called Risen and uh, it was in the movie cinemas this week and it just in a, real, um, a wonderful way sets the, the tone of what it must have been like for the disciples after Jesus had died and, was ro and w w had risen from the dead. And so, if you can just play it for us quickly, Jess, I'd appreciate that. So, it really does capture something of that anxiety that the disciples must have felt when, when they were in that upper room. And uh, Ralph Fiennes plays the part of a centurion who's a non-believer, and he's trying to come to terms with what has happened in the story of the resurrection and the death of Jesus. And so I just wanted to play that at the beginning because it really does capture that sense of what the disciples must have felt and gives us a context for the scripture, which simply says, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked 
where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. And you can understand why they were fearful. And Jesus comes and stands amongst them. So there are three facts that I'd like to um, discuss with you in that first section of how Jesus acts. This is the evening of the first day, the first Sunday after Jesus rode from the dead. That morning, He had appeared to Mary Magdalene. We read that in John 20. But now He appears to all of the disciples together. Notice three things. It's the Scripture says the doors are locked. The disciples, secondly, are frightened. And thirdly, it simply says Jesus came and stood amongst them. And I'd just like to look at those three things briefly with you this morning. First of all, the doors were locked. Jesus, He didn't have to knock. He didn't even have to open the door. He simply was there amongst them. He wasn't a ghost. Why do we know that? We say, we can see from verse 20, it says, He showed them His hands and His side. In another place, He says, Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. That was in Luke chapter 24. So here Jesus appears in a physical body. He just appears in the midst of them behind these locked doors. And He appears in a body that is exactly the same as ours, yet it's not the same. It's different. It's resurrected. It's a glorified body. And He was simply there in spite of the doors being closed. And I'm looking forward to having a resurrected body one day, a glorified body one day. This is what Christianity teaches. We, we do not just go into heaven and are wafting around like spirits in the universe somewhere. That's a Greek idea. That's not a Christian idea. The Christian, the Christian faith teaches that you and I, one day, are going to have a resurrected body, a glorified body, just like the body of Jesus, and we're going to live in a new heaven and a new earth where everything is glorified. And we're going to recognize... Uh, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm going to do a series on heaven shortly. And we're going to recognize each other, but in a glorified form. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be glorious. This is what we have to look forward to. And I like to say that uh, I want to have a glorified body because then you don't have to fly anywhere. If I want to be surfing in Maui one day, I can just surf in Maui. I can just appear there. I don't have to take a flight. That's what a glorified body can do. That's what Jesus did. He appeared in a glorified form. And so I want to just say this to you. The way that Jesus appeared to those disciples, He can go where no one else can go. I want to say this to you. He can go in your life where no counselor can go. Counselors are good, and we need counselors to help us. But I want to encourage you, whatever you're facing this morning, there is one, the resurrected Christ, who can go where no counselor can go. He can go where no doctor can go. I thank God for doctors. I thank God in our own lives, the testimony of our own son, who was healed in an amazing way by skill of doctors. But at the end of the day, we trust in the glorified Christ who can heal anybody and touch anybody. He is the source of all of our healing. He does what no doctor can do. Jesus can go where no lover can go. So many people looking for comfort in, in sexual relationships, hoping for comfort to come to them through the life of another lover. I want to tell you, even if you've, you are wonderfully made this morning and, and, and you enjoy a fantastic relationship with your spouse, Jesus can still go in your life where no lover can go. 
and bring you comfort like no one else can. He can reach into you, into the deepest part of who you are where no one else can see, and He can bring life to that place that is dead. And I want to encourage you with that this morning. There's no one else like Him in the universe. He's alive. He's the one and only God-man. And what He's capable of, we can't even dream of or hope or imagine. He can undo the complex layers of our lives and bring peace to the center of our being, just as He did for those disciples. He appeared amongst them when they were full of fear. Secondly, it says they were afraid. And I've tried to set the scene through that little video to give you an idea. Their fear was totally understandable. Jesus had just been crucified because He was a threat to the Romans and to Caesar and to the Jews. And I suppose I want to draw your attention to this most of all this morning because that's where I feel in my own life, I feel the need most of all for a risen Savior because I have to confront fear all the time. I don't know about your life, but I confront fear all the time in my life. Fear that I won't be prepared to do what God has called me to do. Fear for the future of my family and the health of my family in an unstable and a dangerous world. And Brussels once again showed us this week just how fragile life is, how quickly life can change in a moment. Fear that I won't have faith to die well. I, I want to live well, but there's something in me that's, that's fearful that perhaps I won't die well when it comes the moment to go into glory that somehow I'll stumble at the last moment. Fear that my life might just drift into backsliddenness and worldliness and uselessness. I need to confront fear all the time. I'm, I'm sure that in your life you have to confront fear all the time. And this is what Jesus does. He comes and He stands amongst them even when they are afraid. You know, I love that about Jesus. He doesn't wait and say, And you come to me when you got your act together. When you are not feeling fearful, you come to me and then I will, I will bring you peace. Even when I'm afraid, in the midst of my fear, Jesus comes to me and He brings comfort to me in the middle of my fear. I like to run, and often my runs are times when I can really just verbalize what I'm feeling. I pray when I run. And I've, so many times when I've run, I cry to God. I just say, Jesus, help me. I've, I've, I'm afraid. I don't know what to do. I, I don't know how to bring comfort to this person. I don't know what to do about this situation in my family. And you know, I've been serving Jesus now for 40 years. And every time I cry out to Him because of this thing of fear in my life, He comes to me and He says, don't fear. I'm with you. I hear His voice every single time. And I want to encourage you, whatever you're facing in your life right now, there is one who comes to you even in your place of fear and can bring comfort to you that you will know peace that passes all understanding. He's the risen Christ. And then he comes and he stands in the midst of them. It says in verse 19. I love that about Jesus. He comes right into the midst of the meeting. He doesn't stand on the outside. He doesn't stand behind the locked door and say, Oi, disciples, it's Jesus. Do you need anything? Are you feeling afraid because of the guys that are coming to persecute you? Don't worry, it's Jesus. I I'm here to help you. No, he stands right in the midst of them. He comes into 
into their situation. He's not distant. He's not playing with their faith. He's not toying with them. He wants them to see Him and know Him and believe in Him and love, in him, love him. And to do that, He comes and stands right in the middle of them. And I want to say to you this morning, if you don't know Jesus, He wants to come and stand right in the middle of your life. He wants to draw close to you so that you can know Him, that you can love Him. Because only He can go where no one else can go. And only He can help you with fear in a way that no one else can help you. He's not calling to you from a distance. And I pray this morning, even in this service, that you will feel the presence of Jesus right here inside of you, with you, right now, even as I'm speaking, because He is here. So that's how Jesus acts. And here are three things that Jesus says that are gifts to His disciples. And I want to say they're gifts to you and gifts to I this morning. He gives the gift of peace. He gives them the gift of power. And He gives them a gift of purpose for their lives. You know, so many of us live with the opposites of those in our lives, don't we? The opposite of peace is conflict. So many situations in our lives are conflict areas where we have relationships that are in conflict. We are in conflict with our parents or with our relatives. We are in conflict with our friends over different things. The opposite of power is weakness. I don't know about you, but so many times in my life I feel so weak. And the opposite of purpose is aimlessness. So many people wandering around their lives aimless, not really having a dream for their lives, not really having a future, just going from one month to the next, one year to the next, hoping that somehow something is going to change somewhere that's going to bring meaning to their lives. And so many lives are ruined by conflict, weakness, and aimlessness. And Jesus didn't come to the world to die and ra ra be raised from the dead to ruin your life. He came to save your life. He came to give you a hope and a peace and a future. And he, he came to save us from ourselves so that we don't ruin our lives. And He did that by Himself becoming our peace and our power and giving us purpose. And that's what this little scripture says to us. And I'm praying today for every single one of you in this room that you would make Jesus your peace. That you would make Jesus your power that you would make Jesus your purpose. And this is what He says twice. He says, peace be with you. Peace be with you in verse 20 and again in verse 21. And before Jesus does anything else for His disciples, He wants to establish peace. He doesn't want to talk about their purpose or the power that He wants to give them before He establishes the root of peace in their lives. And this order is so important. The peace that Jesus gives you and I is before anything else. It's underneath everything. It empowers our actions. It gives us purpose for the deeds that He calls us to. We don't initiate peace with Jesus. He comes and He initiates peace with us. And that's the gospel. While we were still dead, Jesus sought us out. While we were still dead and an, an enemy of God, Jesus came and bought peace for us so that we might know peace with the Father. And this is what Paul says in Ephesians 2. He, Jesus, Himself is our peace, and He has made both us all one 
both Jew and Gentile, and reconciled us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby ending hostility with God. Isn't that wonderful? You know why I love the, the cross? The cross is a perfect picture of God's anger and God's love in one. You want to see the anger of God being satisfied? Look to the cross, because that's what the cross signifies. The anger of God, the judgment of God. And at the same time, it signifies the perfect love of God, that He wanted to bring an end to judgment, bring an end to His anger. And so Jesus is the one who dies on the cross and fulfills the wrath of God. God is not angry with you anymore or angry for your sin anymore, because His anger has been satisfied in the death of His Son. That's the glorious good news of the gospel, that we don't have to fear death. Sin has been overcome in our lives simply as we believe by faith in the living Christ. That's my hope, that all of you will know that joy, will know that peace. And that's what Jesus does. That's why He can offer us peace, because He's brought us peace. He's ended hostility with God. So how does come, peace come into our lives? Well, I want to say there are five little relationships that Jesus brings His peace into in our lives. And first of all, He brings peace between us and Him, the risen Christ. That's the most obvious meaning out of this portion. He is standing there in the midst of them, offering them Himself as a friend, as a helper, not as a judge. So Jesus offers us peace, first of all, between ourselves and Him. Secondly, He offers peace between us and God. That's why God sent him, so that his anger and his, his, his justice could be satisfied through the death of Jesus. And so God makes peace available by substituting his son as our penalty for sin. And then he comes to us as a loving father. So we have peace with Jesus, we have peace with God, and then thirdly, we have peace with others who are also in Christ. And this is what I love about the gospel. Because we have vertical peace with God, we have peace with each other. And therefore, as we've been studying in Galatians 3, uh, Paul says there's no Jew, there's no Greek, there's no slave, there's no free, there's no male, there's no female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This is the glory of the gospel. No ethnocentric uh, classism, no sexism, no racism, none of that anymore, because we are all one in Christ. He's brought us all peace. And because we have peace with Him, we can enjoy peace with each other. This is the beauty of the gospel. And then fourthly, peace with our own soul. Jesus has brought us peace with our own soul. How many people live their lives who, without being able to forgive themselves for sins that they've done? People they've hurt. As a pastor, I see that all the time. So much guilt that is carried in the lives of people who can't forgive themselves for some of the things that they've done. And I want to encourage you, if you're in that place this morning, Jesus has brought peace for you that you can know peace for your, in your own soul, with yourself, that you can live free of your past. There's a precious, precious thing about having a clear conscience. And you and I can have clear consciences because of what the blood of Christ has done for us. He washes our conscience. He washes our lives so that was, what was red as scarlet is now white as snow. This is the wonderful message of the gospel. You see, when you have peace with your, with your soul, it doesn't mean you start um, seeing past sins as something desirable. Uh, it doesn't mean that the past sins that you've committed cease to be painful either. 
but it does mean that they stop being paralyzing in your life. It does mean that you can move on. It does mean that you can start to live free. It does mean that even though the pain of that sin might not be taken away immediately, the penalty is taken away immediately. And that makes things possible to heal. That means that the boil can be lanced. That means that the infection can come out and you can begin to heal on the inside because you can know peace in your soul because of what Jesus has done for you. That means you can move on in your life full of hope because of what Christ has brought for you. And lastly, peace with the world. When Jesus did what He did, um, it was that, so that for all eternity, all evil one day will be cast out into darkness and sin will be judged and creation will be full of peace and righteousness. And that's what Isaiah promises. On th of the increase of His government, there will be no end. And of His peace, there will be no end. This is what Jesus has bought for us on the cross. Peace with God, peace with Jesus, peace with, peace with others, peace with ourselves, and peace with the world. That is an amazing achievement. That's what you and I enjoy because of what Jesus has brought for us. And the question then simply is, as I finish, how do you receive that peace? Well, my hope is that everyone here this morning would know that peace. It's a gift. You can't earn it. You can't take it. It's a gift that God offers you. And you either accept it or you walk away from it. I could put it another way. You either accept Christ, who has brought that peace for you, or you walk away from Christ. This is what the Scripture says, John 1.12, To all who received Him, all who believed in Him, He gives the right to become children of God. And Romans 5, verse 1, Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's an offer of peace for every single one of you this morning and including me. Jesus comes and offers us that peace. I offer that peace, if you don't know Jesus this morning, I offer that peace to you on His behalf. It's free. It's a gift. I hope that you take it. And I've spent most of my time this morning just speaking about this thing of peace because it's foundational to everything, as I said in my introduction. Everything else that we enjoy in our lives is an effect of that peace. It's not the cause, but it's an effect. So let me point in closing to the power and the purpose that Jesus gives. And both are mentioned again in verse 21. Jesus said, Peace I give to you. As the Father sent me, even so I am sending you. There's the purpose of our lives. And when He had said that, He breathed on them and He said, Receive the Holy Spirit. There's the so He buys us peace. He gives us a purpose. He says, as fa the Father sent me, I'm sending you. And He has the power that you need to do that. And He breathes on them and says, receive my Holy Spirit. And we know that in Acts 2, it was only about seven weeks later after Jesus ascended to heaven um, that the disciples received the fullness of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. Uh, the promise of Acts 1.8, Acts you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And uh, the work of the Holy Spirit enables us to do that which we are simply not able to do in our own strength. The power that Jesus 
gives us. And uh, in this portion, it's like Jesus acts out a parable for them. He breathes on them. He says, receive my Holy Spirit. He didn't say, receive Him right at this very moment. We know that because the Holy Spirit is, is poured out later. But He's saying, as He acts out this little parable, He's saying, realize that in my breath is my life. In this breath is my word. And my words through you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. He's acting out a parable as He breathes on them. And there's that wonderful promise that we looked at a couple of weeks ago, John 14. I will not leave you as orphans, but I will send a helper, another helper to you, the precious Holy Spirit. And so the, res the risen Jesus who we sang about this morning, He's come to us, He sent the Holy Spirit to us, and He has breathed on us that the life of Christ might fill us. And so that's the only hope that we have, really, for accomplishing the purpose that God has for us. And that purpose is that we are ambassadors for Him. I am sending you in the same way. Uh, and I want you to go into the world with my peace, my power, and speak my words that many might come to life. And so that's the central purpose that we have. That's why Jesus comes and gives us His peace. And He gives us His power to do the things that we can't do in our own strength. And I don't know about you, but one of the things I think is most difficult is to defeat your own selfishness. Anyone find that difficult? Only me. To defeat your own selfishness. Michael Jackson said... And I'm not equating Michael Jackson with Jesus, but he said, he talked about the man in the mirror. Isn't that right? The most difficult person to change is the man in the mirror. Guys, when you shave in the morning, I've stopped shaving recently, but when you shave in the morning, remind yourself, pray to Jesus, pray to the Holy Spirit, God, the man in the mirror that I see right now, help me to change according to the power of your Holy Spirit today, because I need to change. The most difficult thing in all of the world is to defeat our own selfishness, our own desire to be right. But Jesus can do that in us by the power of His Holy Spirit. Amen? And then He says, I'm sending you to extend my peace and my light and my truth and my life into the world and bring glory to my Father. That's our great purpose. In the peace of Christ, by the power of God, to do the will of God, for the glory of God. And we don't do that for ourselves. We do that for other people. We're going to have some baptisms now. And um, these are people that want to demonstrate outwardly that they have found peace with God. That's what uh, baptism really is. It's, it's identifying with the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. And as we go under the water... We're saying our old self has died in Christ and the new self, the new spiritual man, that part of us that is born again, is rising out of the water and we're going to live by the power of the Spirit and God is going to help us to walk by the Spirit. Yes? That's what we celebrate. And so...